Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in John chapter 17 today. You know, when history books will be written of these days that we live in, there, are, there will be many things that seemed important to us at the time that history will tell us is meaningless. Many things won't be that big. And there will be some little things that we will look back on and say that was a bigger deal than we realized at the time. Most of Hollywood is a waste of time. I don't, that doesn't mean all of it is. That doesn't mean that there haven't been some amazing actors that will stand the test of time. Marlon Brando, um, uh, those, some of those big names. But most of the people uh, that, that are in movies t- these days, most of these people on social media, the thing that astounds me is that there are, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, those things, There are internet celebrities that are famous for nothing other than being on the internet. They haven't made a movie. They they haven't done anything other than they make five-second TikTok videos, and they get a million followers for that, and all they do is make five-second TikTok videos. I don't don't get TikTok, but these people will seem so big right now. But down the road, they're not. Twitter, that social media account, does hashtags. They, they do the, the pound symbol followed by whatever is important and trendy at the subject, and you can skip that for a year and not miss a thing. Um, whatever is trending for the day is, is, is meaningless. But then there's some little things that make enormous changes. You know, tomorrow being Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King was a big deal. He, he changed the face of our country. A thousand years from now, our country will still be talking about the changes that he brought on. I think, I think one of the big changes, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember Martin Luther King, but I think Rodney King was a big deal. I remember, I remember that, and I remember the riots that that caused, and I remember the changes that then started to slowly unfold. And his, Rodney King's question still haunts, haunts me. Do you remember it? Can't we all just get along? That's a good question. (laughs) That's a really, I mean, that's one of those things that may have seemed really trivial in the moment. And here we are all these years later in 2023, and I I think that question's more powerful now than it was even back then, because we can't. We've we've proven that. When When I lived in Urbana, Illinois, I had a roommate named John. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And at one point we were talking about Christ and, and, and the church and the world. And, and, and we came down to the fact that he, I, have, he felt the world was getting better and that humanity would eventually evolve, develop, turn into the utopia of Star Trek or pick your favorite utopia. That humanity could pass enough good laws and legislate their way into a, uh, and, and with enough science and with enough math and with enough physics and, and all these good things, we could eventually become that utopian society. 
I believe the exact opposite. I believe that without Christ, our world is just tanking out of control. I believe that there was a reason that the U.S. was at one time the place to be because our founding fathers founded this nation on Christian principles. And what I think history shows is that the further that we stray from those Christian principles in business and politics and in entertainment and anything, the further we deviate from that, the further things fall apart. Why is it when I go to the bank, we live in a paperless society now, why is it my receipt at the bank is this long in a paperless society? It wasn't that long when we were not being paperless. And that's just, to me, is code for the fact that everything that we as humans put our hands to and try to do, we, we seem to do the opposite. Um, the, there are so many things that we have tried as humans to do to make the world a better place, and we haven't succeeded. And to go back to Rodney King, I think unity, the unity of the human race is one of those. Um, I, I know the reason that we can't all just get along is because peace and unity come from God. They are gifts. And that without God, there will be no unity. There will be no peace. We can't all just get along on our own. It is against human nature. Humans, by nature, are tribal. I don't mean that in the primitive sense. I just mean that as the, the here's our group, there's your group, there's your group, there's your group. By nature, we're tribal, and we, and, and, and we turn everybody that's not in our tribe into our our enemies. The Bible speaks of unity and, and the peace of God. And so I want to look at John chapter 17. Jesus, just, just a portion of, of, of Jesus' prayer. John 17, verse 20. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now we ask again the question that we asked last week, why do we care about unity? The answer is that no less than Jesus himself, shortly before his death, within you know, just, just, just hours before his death, gives us this reason that he cared about our unity. And so some things, I would, uh, some things to talk about in that. We have the example of unity that he gives us. Jesus prays that we, the believers may have what he has, and he has unity. Again, we look to the example, we said this last week, the Trinity. God himself lives in unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
and we look to the Trinity to see how it functions. Our God defines the original relationship. It's how we are to be as well. Jesus knew what was coming up. He knew where he was headed. He was going to the cross. Jesus knows that he is going to be crucified and abandoned and betrayed and deserted. He says all of this during his last week of life. And so what does he pray for? That we all just get along. See, Christ had already seen the disunity among his followers. Apostles jockeying against each other to see who could be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Bad attitudes. It wasn't supposed to be about who was the best. It's supposed to be about the oneness of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Godhead was and is in full unity. God knew what Jesus would go through. And it was going to be rough. He's in his final week, final days of his life. And so in his final hours, I mean, let's just call it final hours of his life, there's not much time left. So what is he going to talk about? What is is Jesus with only a few hours left to him to talk with his disciples, to pray for them? What is he going to talk about? What is he going to pray for? Could be anything, any number of things that he might want to discuss with them. But he prayed that we would know God. He cared more about his disciples than his own suffering and prayed that we would know God and that this would bring us unity, knowing God, knowing the true God, who he is. And we do know God through Jesus. Jesus came to do the will of God. And Jesus said, God and me, we're so close that they will crucify me, but I will not crucify them in return. See, God... God was able to send a son without sin. But by the way that he created the world and the way that and, and what sin is, he couldn't send a son without suffering. That was our, our salvation required that. Jesus had to be our sacrifice. But he did it so that we could know God. We look to God himself to see the example of unity that should be among us. We have that example of unity. We have the witness of unity. So when I was in high school, junior high, high school, um, I had a classmate named Bernard Gordon Fox Jr. We called him Gordy. His dad was Bernie. Um, Lived down the road. Actually, he lived right across the street from the church. Um, We didn't live next to the church. Um, I I like living next to the church. We didn't live next to the church, even though my dad preached there, but, but Gordy lived across the street. We were classmates. And I remember, I remember one day when I was in the front yard, um, sitting up against a tree in the shade, uh, on the grass, reading a book. I don't remember the book. I don't remember where Gordy was walking, but he was walking by the street, and he saw me. He must not have been in a hurry because he walked on over, and we got to talking. And at some point he said, you are different than other people. And I thought, did he just come into my yard to insult me? Um, But it followed it up with, you have a sense of peace about you. Let let me be clear. I I, I, I did not feel in my heart that there was peace. I was a typical teenager. Um, Didn't always get along with my parents. Um, Did the, uh, probably snuck out of the house a few too many times. 
um, angst, depression. You know, Rick, you know the art, Rich Mullins, the, the Christian artist who wrote the song Awesome God, which is a great song. I love Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins made the comment, he said, I was such a typical morose teenager that I actually wrote poetry. I wrote poetry. I was that, I was that angst. So I didn't feel that I had this piece. But, you know, I, what was hurting on the inside... I don't know that it was faking it. My, I will say that I, looking back, even with all the, the, the teenage angst and drama, and, and I probably did have more peace than a lot of my classmates because I had Jesus. And that does make the difference. It doesn't mean that the depression goes away. It doesn't mean that the anxiety goes away. But we cope with it better. I legitimately believe that, that Christians still have all the problems the rest of the world has, but we cope with it better. And credit to Gordy for seeing that. I should say how this story ends. He became a Christian. He was my first roommate in Bible college. When I got out of Bible college and became a locksmith, Gordy went into ministry. We still talk occasionally. All Christians have problems, but I think that we deal with them differently. And I think that our problems are different. I think that we have a better perspective on the real world. It's all in God's hands, and we get it. And at the end of the day, we see that God is in control. We may not like what we're going through, but it will work out to his glory if we turn it over to him. And I think that's a better perspective, that in what we're going through, we know that if we're in God's hands, one way or the other, it'll, it'll be okay. And I do think that that can be seen by outsiders. And, and, and you and I know it, it, it's not just an act. Christianity isn't like pretending it really is better. And if you don't know that, if you are pretending, then we should talk. Because it's not an act and it's not a pretense. And if you feel that Christianity is keeping up appearances and you, know, you have to pretend all the time, there's, there's something that's not connected quite right and we, sh- we should talk about that because it's not about pretending. Christ really does make it. That, again, that doesn't mean that, that all the negative emotions go away. It doesn't mean that Christians don't deal with loss and sorrow and pain. And, but I think that we deal with it better because we're not alone and we have hope. There is a wholeness about Christians and a unity in our churches, and I think outsiders should see that. Um, That unity is a witness to non-Christians, a brotherhood that the world cannot provide. This world is a cruel place. Only the tough survive, fight to the top, get all that respect that you need. But the church of God is a haven for the hurting Church of God is a place to be loved. If our church isn't those things, then we're broken. We're not the church that God wants us to be. The blood of Jesus Christ has made us holy. It has set us apart from the world, and it has set us apart to God. We belong to him. He calls the shots. And the world will see something different in us when God is calling the shots, when we're not living for ourselves. Unity is an example to the world, both evangelistic, and that's that fancy word. Evangelism is one of those words that if you're not raised in the church, you may not re- Evangelism just means to share the good news about Jesus. When we show unity, it is evangelistic, and it is loving, and frankly, evangelism and love are the same thing in this case. The world will see something different in us when God calls the shots. Unity is an example to the world, that Christians love one another. I can't emphasize that enough. Christians love one another. If you are an unloving person, 
then you are struggling with the lordship of Jesus. Christians are meant to love. We don't always like each other, but we always love each other. The world needs to see that difference, and they will see the difference. So years ago, I've shared this years ago, uh, when I met Pamela, um, I, was, I was living in Champaign, Illinois. Actually, I was, I was on my way to moving to Champaign, Illinois at the time. I had started up this ministry among the goth crowd. Yes, the black lipstick, think it's Halloween 365 days a year, listen to morose, depressing music, write poetry. Um, I fit in with them, I thought, pretty, pretty well. Uh, we were introduced to each other by a girl named Abigail. And uh, Avi said uh, to me, when I started up this ministry of sharing the gospel with the goths, uh, I, I'm grateful to her, to her. She said that if you consistently show the love of God, people will come. They won't be able to help it. She said, this is a crowd, this is a community that are lonely and hurting, and, and like moths to a flame, they will be drawn to, to a ministry that shows them love. They just can't help it. Any crowd searching for love will be able to see it if you, she said, can display the image of Christ. Very powerful statement. She, and she wasn't even Christian. Um, I think she was close. I do. I think she was very close. I th- she had a lot of respect for Jesus' teachings and his historical character. But knowing who Jesus is is not the same as following him. Liking Jesus is not the same as loving him. Um, and I love, I love Abigail. I, I'm forever grateful. I'm not sure that anybody changed my life quite as much as she did in, in introducing me to Pamela. But I also hope that she came to know Christ as Savior and not just as a good teacher. But she's right. If we display Christ, people will see it, and, and non-Christians will say, that's what I'm missing in my life. I don't have that, and I want that. And, I, and hopefully they get to the point where they say, and I want to be that for others as well. Not just, I want somebody else to do that in my life, but then I want to be that same person that others see that in me. And I think that this is true. If we model Christ, people who are searching for love and truth and unity, if they see him in our lives, they will see him. And they won't see us. And so we also have the glory of unity. Now, there is a lot of talk in Jesus' prayer about glory. What is this glory that we are talking about? So back in college, you guys know I majored in Greek and Hebrew, and I nerd that I was, not only did I write poetry, I liked papers in school. I liked, I liked good research papers. I wrote a paper on the word Emmanuel. Now, that is a word we only dust off at Christmas time, which I think is a shame, because it's not just a Christmas word. It's not even just a New Testament word. It's this Old Testament word, this Hebrew word. It's not even Greek. It's this Hebrew word that means God with us. And we read about it in Isaiah and in Micah. It's God, God is, the Christian faith is about the fact that God is with us. Emmanuel is not a Christmas-only term. It's all the time. It is the definition of our faith. At the end of the day, our goal is God with us. Not even so much heaven. See, if you think that your goal is that when this life is over, you will live forever with streets of gold on castles in clouds, uh, that, you, you've missed the point. You've missed what the, what the offer is. It is not about living in paradise. The point is not to live in heaven. The point is to live with God who, love us, who loves us. And so many people, so many Christians, miss that point. 
The reward is not heaven. The reward is God himself. Which is why I, th- I believe, I truly believe, his kingdom is now. I think the gospel writers share that with us. His kingdom is now. The reward is now. We have God himself now. We have salvation now. We're not waiting to be saved. We're not waiting to have God in our lives. We can have him now. Um, now, if you choose not to walk with him or spend time with him, that, that's on you. God's glory is our salvation. When we accept him, it brings him even greater glory. Um, an example. Alexander the Great. You guys remember him? Um, not personally, obviously. Alexander lived a, a few hundred years before Jesus. I would argue, my, my, Jason's opinion, after Jesus, he was the single most pivotal human being that ever lived. Jason's opinion. Reason being, he did a few things that were just unheard of before him and never happened since then. Number one, he conquered the world. Lots of people want to conquer the world. Alexander ran out of places to conquer. That's not a good thing. But it brought a forced form of unity. Then he made the whole world speak his language, Greek, which was a great setup if you want to write a New Testament. If everybody can read, if everybody knows Greek and the New Testament's written in Greek, it was the perfect time to share the gospel. I think that was a, I don't know that the church, I think God set things up perfectly, and I'm not sure that the church, um, I don't know how it could have survived without the whole world being able to read the New Testament when the New Testament was written. Um, He set up government. Um, that segued into Rome, and Rome paved, connected the world with roads. And I think Alexander was a big, big deal. Alex, and there's some amazing stories about, about Alexander. Well, he died way too young, because from what I gather, he was an alcoholic and drank himself to death in depression when he ran out of places to conquer. Again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying he was a good person, but I think he was very pivotal. The story is of... A, a, a soldier, a general, somebody that was somewhat important, who had done a great thing in a battle. And Alexander said to him, you know, in, called him into his council of elders and courts and said, you have done a great service for, for the empire of Greece. Um, name your reward. And this guy named something beyond extravagant, you know, lands and servants and, and palaces and, and wealth. And it was... It was a level that everybody in his command tent went, (gasps) because it was one of those things of what he was asking for was more than what most kings on earth at that time possessed. And everybody thought, oh my goodness, Alexander's going to kill him for that audacity. Alexander always had some amazing little bits of wisdom. And he shushed everybody and he said, no, actually, he said, I'm deeply complimented because no one else on earth could fulfill what he just asked. And I'm impressed that he thinks I am that great. I wish I was that great in the rest of your eyes. God is so loving and so forgiving that he can forgive every one of us of everything. Never cheapen God. Never think that what you have done is beyond his ability to forgive. Never think that you are beyond his ability to bless. Everyone that accepts forgiveness of God's, the forgiveness that God offers shows God's greatness all the more. Now, having said that, we should follow it up with Paul's statement, shall I go on sinning so that I get even more grace? No, don't do that. Um, We don't sin so that God can be gracious, but no amount of sin that we do is beyond God's grace, and he loves to forgive us, 
and he loves when we come back. And when we fall and trip again, because we're human and we sin again, he forgives again. And when we sin again, he forgives again. That doesn't mean we sin on purpose, because that makes a mockery of his grace. But every time that we sin, there is always forgiveness. At the end of the day, unity is not something in the church that we're trying to achieve. As one of my friends put it, we are united with him in baptism and that is our glory. If at any point that we don't have unity in our faith, well, then we've lost our glory. Unity is not something, therefore, to be gained. We start with it, but we can lose it. We have it if we can keep it. But it's our job to keep the focus on Christ and not on us. Human nature is to be selfish. It's so easy to be selfish. It's so hard to keep our focus on God. And we, and we do. We, lo- we, we lose focus. And we put our eyes back. And, we lo- and then we get discouraged because we keep losing our focus. Don't, don't get discouraged. The struggle is worth it. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 439. A, a perfected sense of unity. In the end, everything comes down to this one thing. That you see the unity of the Godhead and live it out. So that others may see, you may see, and others may see the glory of Christ. Now, I am biased, but I think that the First Church of Christ does a very good job of showing Christian unity. I do. I'm very proud of this church, proud to be a part of it. I think it's a loving church that supports one another. More than that, I think it's a church united under the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. If you haven't accepted Christ Jesus as your Savior, I want to talk with you after church, um, if you haven't joined a, a biblical church, if, if you've been attending for a while, um, I've said this before, membership is not something that we read in the Bible. On the one hand, I don't want to make it a king, what, I, what some people call a kingdom issue, but I think membership is a good thing. Okay? There's no pews in the Bible, but I like pews. Um, I think membership is a good thing. It lets us know who's part, who, who's committed to serving in the church. Um, if you are a baptized believer in Christ, uh, and you are attending the church, but you are not a member of the church, or maybe you don't know, and we can talk about that. If you were baptized here, you're usually a member here. If you were baptized in another church, and, and but this is your church home now, I'd, I'd like to talk with that. Um, I, think, I think membership is a healthy thing for churches. Um, so uh, that, that's the call, um, to live Christ-like in unity, and I pray that we may all do that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.